for April 30th, 2018. It's the Overthinking It podcast, episode 513, Earth's Mightiest Overthinkers. Welcome to the Overthinking It podcast. We're like your smart, funny friends from the internet. In fact, we are, and we're never happier than when we're talking about the movies, TV shows, music, the culture out there that everybody loves. I'm Pete Fenzel. As you may notice, I'm not Matt Rather, but Matt Rather is here with us today. This is a special event, a major event, an overthinking it crossover spectacular. And uh, first, I got to say that Mark Lee is in the quantum realm and will not be with us, but I'm sure he'll show up at some point. Uh, but I would like to announce that today we are doing the first in our two parts Avengers Infinity War podcast this week and next week we will be digging into the biggest movie in the marvel cinematic universe because it doesn't even fit in three hours avengers infinity war and with us are a team of earth's mightiest overthinkers that's right it's people you've heard on the overthinking it podcast going back years we've got a collection of all-star guests and all-star panelists and i will start introducing them right now i got to do it of course as always in alphabetical order starting with Earth's mightiest expert on the Black Panther. That's Shion. Shion, how are you doing? Hi, I'm well. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Uh, uh, You're doing good today? You're doing good? You're psyched? I'm doing well. Uh, Everything's been looking up, and it's been a really good weekend for me. Excellent. You know, I'm just so glad that people are happy. I'm sure that everything is going to go great, and we're going to end with a happy ending at the end of this podcast. I can almost guarantee it. Absolutely. All right, so next we have Earth's mightiest Eurovision expert, our own panelist, Matt Belinke. Matt, how are you doing today? I'm doing peachy. May 12th is the big day. Uh, We want to hear about that real soon. I know you guys have been putting a lot of work on the Eurovision side. If you haven't explored that side of the site, I highly recommend it. Really glad to have you on the podcast. Kind of a rare, rare occasion, Matt, for you to be on the podcast. Yeah, I, I turn up every once. I, I want people to be excited when I show up, and I'm usually first in the alphabet, so I'm I'm immediately <laughs> perturbed that I don't get I don't get top billing. I need yes. to talk to my agent about this. Right, right, right. Well, I think I think uh, <laughs> Shion, you've asked for us not to say your full last name on the air, right? So it's mysterious, right? I am a mysterious individual. That's correct. We, it does begin. We've with narrowed the it first down. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. We have narrowed it down. We are learning. Excellent. Next, I am extremely excited to introduce Earth's mightiest Fast and the Furious expert, multiple time overthinking it guest, Hannah Full, video game producer extraordinaire. How are you doing, Hannah? You know, Pete, thanks for asking. I'm great. I um, I just spent a week uh, in Fiji. And then at the end, unfortunately, I had to come back to Los Angeles, where the weather is uh, also incredible. Um, so everything's really great for me. Thank you so much for asking. I got to say, the two-hander we did about Fast and the Furious Tokyo Drift is still one of my all-time favorite overthinking it. <laughs> uh, I, I recently rewatched Fast and Furious Tokyo Drift, and I'm going to tell too. everyone right now. It holds up. It holds up. It, it does. It does. Up. Definitely. And next we have Earth's mightiest Star Trek expert, multiple time podcast guest, and legitimate Star Trek aficionado, Ben Krinsky. Ben, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing great, Pete. How are you doing? I'm doing I'm doing great. I'm doing great. So I mean we we've finished a, a surge and a flurry of Star Trek activity where there was all sorts of Star Trek happening all the time, and we've barely seen any in the past couple of months. 
That's true. Yeah. Uh, and I, I got to say, you know, I know Star Trek has taken uh, something of a darker turn of late, but uh, I got to say, you know, the, the weather outside is peachy and, uh, you know, I can't complain. So I think I think everything is really looking up. Yeah. Dark turns. Who needs dark turns? We're here to talk about the Avengers. Excellent. Thanks, Ben. <laughs> Glad to hear it. All right. Next week, we've got such a mighty panel. Next in line, we've got Josh McNeil, longtime overthinker, sometimes podcast guest, sometimes I think even article writer. Josh, how are you doing today? I am fantastic. My uh, my year and a half year old son slept in and gave me time to go see a movie, which is the first time I've seen a movie in a year and a half. Wow! So this is a big event for you. It is fantastic. Did it live up to expectations? Was it worth the time? I slept through the whole thing. <laughs> that sounds like a win win across the board. It awesome! And of course, last and very dear to my heart, your oftentimes podcast host and one of the big three around here in the Overthinking It podcast, Matt Rather. Matt, thank you for letting me step forward and leave this, leave this nonsense. I really appreciate it, because this was kind of my brainchild to get all of... I had a plan to bring together Earth's mightiest overthinkers to fight the battles that we never could. And we're going to see whether it's successful in the face of the kind of opposition we're dealing with today. But Matt Rather, how are you doing? I'm, are not, you? I'm not sure that the Overthinking It podcast universe can, uh, or the, the OPU, can withstand a crossover event of this magnitude, can balance the storylines of, of this many characters. But uh, Pete, if anyone can pull it off, you can. I think it's going to be uh, just a, a, a great victory for all concerned. Uh, you know, I'm really looking forward to our inevitable triumph after which we'll all high-five each other, which is what I expect from all heroic narrative. And by the, by the way, if you're, if you're tuning in, uh, 2008 did show the, many, the birth of many things, including the Overthinking It podcast, the uh, Marvel Cinematic Universe, Bitcoin, and the Iranian space program. So put those in any order you want in terms of level of success that they've ex- experienced in the last 10 years. Definitely. It's awesome. <laughs> all right. Uh, so I think I've introduced everybody. But before we move on to discussing Avengers Infinity War, and there will be spoilers, and this is a movie you do not want spoiled. See the movie before you hear people talk about it. That is not something we often say on the podcast because we often talk about movies for which the plot is largely inconsequential. (laughs) But for this, it matters. So please see the movie before you listen to the podcast. And uh, we're going to get going deep into everything that happens in Infinity War. But... First and foremost, I got to throw it to Matt Belinky to promo what's going on with Eurovision. Matt, tell us about Eurovision. Well, I believe it was Tennyson who said, in the spring, a young man's fancy lightly turns to thoughts of the world's greatest singing competition. Uh, he was a fan. I think he was he was actually rooting for Spain, believe it or not. Um, so if you go to our YouTube channel right now, you will see a series of video reviews we've been working on. Uh, and you will also see a bunch of angry Hungarians and Bulgarians. Uh, Matt Rather is basically no longer welcome in Eastern Europe anymore. Um, <laughs> it's pretty. It's it's, it's it's pretty funny because like I am only the 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 mouthpiece. I am only the shiny chrome hood ornament on the uh, Studebaker that is this video series. But uh, of course, because I'm the face they see, all the animus. Um, you know, heaps on me. I just got back from a week-long trip to Warsaw, and uh, I swear I was getting glares over the uh, over the immigration desk from the the Polish border guards. <laughs> because of the out. videos, yeah, that's so great. That's so great. Go ahead, and, Matt. Uh, if you are in New York City, uh, we're going to be watching this live uh, at uh, the Liberty. It's a bar in Midtown, New York. Uh, so this is a Saturday. 
May 12th, uh, 2 p.m. Eastern time. We're going to start by watching uh, some of the songs that were eliminated, their semifinals uh, earlier that week. We're going to watch all the ones that got knocked out, and then we're going to watch the show live uh, on Logo. That's uh, You can now watch it in the United States. When we started doing this in 2013, we started having watch parties. We had to like stream in the BBC. And now uh, you can actually you can actually watch it on an American channel with fun American commercials. So, uh, the, I, I'd like to think that we played a hand in that in making Eurovision uh, a thing that at least a small subculture of gay Americans are excited about. <laughs> but uh, who really knows? Anyway, uh, come come see us there. Buy us a drink. I've been to this party before, and and folks, it is huge. It is lots of people from lots of countries. We've had embassies send their expats to us. I mean, if you want to find a table of Norwegians to watch this with, if you happen to be Norwegian and lonely in New York, this is the event to go to, because boy, will there be a table of Norwegians. I'll tell you that right now. Uh, it's, it's a really fun time, and it's really energizing, and I'm really excited about everything that you guys have been doing about Eurovision on the channel. Awesome. So, Infinity War. Now, we could do this like X-Men Apocalypse and just put the topic in the middle and all stand around it and all yell at it at the same time. (laughs) Uh, Unfortunately, unlike the Marvel Cinematic Universe, we had not done our character development beforehand. And as such, we had to go around and introduce everybody, which is kind of what ends up happening in like the DC Universe, except everybody is much sadder than everybody is here, who's so buoyant. But instead, we're going to do this the way that they did it in the Infinity War crossover event in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And I'm going to toss it to small groups. I want to subdivide this giant conversation, and then we're going to bring it together, and we're going to hear everybody's point of view. But first, I want to toss this just to our guests, just to Xi'an, Ben, and Hannah. And I want to ask you for your initial reactions to Infinity War, and also the ideas that really jumped out at you, that, that really felt like needed to be tackled by kind of thinking and and more more necessarily than just the jump kicking that took place, of which there was plenty. Uh, mm-hmm. but, but sort of what, what really provoked your, your minds, your hearts, and your souls uh, about this movie? I'll go first. <laughs> I, <was waiting laughs> I know you have a lot of feelings, Yeah, exactly. So you have many a lot feelings. of feelings. So yeah. many feelings. Um, one thing that um, I noticed as you go through, it happens right away, is someone uh, kind of being unable to sacrifice one person for the, quote, greater good. Um, even in instances where they promise to or state outright that they would do so, um, just people left and right not being able to do that. Um, I thought it was really interesting and trying to put my finger around what they're trying to say with that, uh, because obviously Thanos has no problem getting rid of half of the universe for the other half to survive. Yeah, I I also noticed that. <clears throat> excuse me, and I I felt like it was used uh, successfully and unsuccessfully over the course of the film. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, I think there were moments. Uh, I thought that the um, Star Lord Gamora moment was like very uh, impactful, whereas. Um, I, I'm curious about what other people on the panel thought, because my overall feeling about um, not being able to sacrifice vision while all of Wakanda was like under attack and burning was like I, I was sort of like I felt like arrested development. <laughs> I was sort of like, really? her? 
that's that's the choice you're going to make in this kind of situation. You're going to yeah, pick the robot. Like, you're going to pick the robot over all these innocent people. Okay. She chose love. <laughs> oh. But at one point, she says like, um, and I'm terrible with names, but um, the um, warrior of Wakanda says it will okay. be the most noble. Thank you. The most noble death of all. And I was like, really? <laughs> to save him. And to be fair, I did not see a bunch of previous Marvel movies, so I don't really have an emotional attachment to Vision. So to me, he's like a very fancy robot. (laughs) So um, it's an interesting idea. So one thing that I I wonder how uh, this kind of idea is modulated by how it actually panned out at the very end with Vision, because um, as, as you both alluded to, Thanos seems perfectly willing to sacrifice. He sacrifices Gamora, he throws her off a cliff for the, the Soul Stone. Uh, and then at the very last moment, it seems like finally the Avengers are willing to sacrifice Vision. But then, of course, Thanos has the Time Stone and just says, nope, and kind of rewinds everything and rips it out of his head. So... Um, how, how does that sort of affect our, our thinking about sacrifice? Because it seems like at, at that very last dire moment, the team of Avengers were willing to try to make a sacrifice, but then they just kind of kind of got outfoxed by the, the power of the Infinity Stones. So these are really powerful ideas, and I'm hearing you guys talk about it. So let's toss it over to the other group of superheroes we have with us and hear from you guys. O- overthinking at Stalwarts, are you connecting with what you're hearing our guests talk about here, about sacrifice and about one and the many and the dynamics that were going on in this movie? How do they make you feel? How do they settle for you? Mm-hmm. Well, Krins- Krins- Krinsky and I – Krinsky and I – yeah, that's funny. The overthinkers are the opposite of the guests. Like we all three talk at once. Um, Krinsky and I fell out hard a long time ago. So, uh, you know, I've, I, I haven't really called him on my flip phone in, <laughs> in many, many years. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've been I've been growing a beard and uh, hanging out, I guess, in a subway, waiting for someone to toss me a spear. So, uh, you know, any any time you want to hit hit send on that call, it looks good on you. I mean, I, I I will say I walked into this movie kind of wondering about the techniques for fulfilling expectations, right? Like because the hard thing about about something like this is that everyone is so so into it, and a lot of the discourse has been in the MCU has been about like, will they stick the landing, you know? And like, honestly, they seem to be doing it. This is, I'm, I'm not sure of a 10 year creative effort, like, uh, beyond, you know, that that's maybe other than like the Homeric epics or something like that, that, uh, that is, is this successful. But I think it's, I mean, I think it's interesting to kind of catalog the ways in which they try to make the payoffs pay, right? To make the payoffs pay off, actually. I'll also say uh, that I I feel like uh, Whedon-esque banter uh, in moments of of high stakes is really played out at this point. Um, rather than underlining the stakes, it sort of undercuts them. And uh, and and the soundtrack, aside from the themes that you recognize to introduce the heroes, which you know at several of which there were cheers in the theater. I saw um, at the at the the kind of the serious sad moments. The one um, the the two you know that that weren't played for laughs. The uh, Gamora being thrown over the cliff and uh, Spidey descending 
disintegrating at the end. The soundtrack was so overbearing. It was, you know, the, the, the violins were really giving very strict instructions uh, as, to, as to how you should feel. And so for a movie that, like, traffics in that you know seems to want to traffic in this this kind of of tragedy it had two two ways of dealing with it one playing it off with the the Whedon-esque banter and two like just underlining italicizing and highlighting it uh with with such a wailing of of strings it, you know it's it's an interesting uh interesting kind of two two-pronged attack that they had there so did you feel like it seems to me that you didn't quite entirely trust the melodrama of the movie. Did you feel like the sacrifices that people making were, were kind of invalidated by it or supported by it? Or how does that hook into this idea that people are kind of losing uh, and and uh, in this sort of context, well, I mean, it's uh, you know, it's it's funny. I I, I want to step off so that someone else can can uh, do it. But the 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 three so that someone else can can, can you know uh, say what they thought. But the the three movies that were previews. Um, that were previewed uh, before the showing, and uh, th- it was Solo and and two others were all had so many explosions, such rubble, such so so rubble, such disaster um, that that it's. I mean, I feel like there's been this kind of arms race of catastrophe that. Um, uh, that it's kind of hard to take any of it seriously anymore. The way the MCU has has traditionally um, dealt with it is by by uh, making you care about making you care about the people, right? Uh, and then, of course, inevitably in the third act, like I don't know, doing bringing down a reign of destruction um, and and saving saving the universe, but but. But this was one that was sort of invested in caring about the people, and I felt like structurally, like narratively, it was pretty successful. Though, though, to me, both the both the uh, the Oscar Wildean banter and also the the kind of melodramatic, kind of operatic treatment of the of the rough moments did not did not necessarily serve them. Mm. Very interesting, definitely. What about the rest of Team Vision? I mean, we we can we can team up and cross over sooner rather than later, but we got to make sure everybody gets their chance to weigh in. So, so I, the, go ahead, Matt. I mean, I definitely identify with the theme: of, um, the people not being willing to make sacrifices. And I was thinking back to all the other superhero movies, almost going back to the beginning, going back to the very first Superman, um, where one of the almost unspoken premises of this movie is that heroes find a way to have their cake and eat it too, even if it means flying around the earth really fast and turning back time. Um, and I, I, I think this was even lampshaded way back in 2002 in the first Spider-Man movie. I had to look up this quote when I came home because it immediately sprung into my mind where William Defoe, in a mocking way says, this is why only fools are heroes because you never know when some lunatic will come along with a sadistic choice. And you know, think about like all the superhero movies, even including Marvel movies in the the second Avengers movie, which it's hard to believe because there's so many movies that have come between it. But was the previous Avengers movie. Um, this is even when I say this out loud, it sounds stupid. But in the movie, it makes sense. There's a city and it's floating its way upward. And when it gets high enough, uh, Ultron is going to drop it and the impact is going to destroy everybody on Earth. 
And the Black Widow floats the idea, what if we drop the city early? If we drop the city early, everybody in the city dies, and everybody in the vicinity of, once again, Eastern Europe, sorry, Eastern Europe, this one's not us, this is Marvel, uh, is going to die, but the rest of the people on Earth are going to be saved. So, you know, utilitarianism, Lee, is utilitarianism, Lee, a word? It's a word now. Um, it's a good decision. And Captain America is the one who's like, no, like we're going to save everybody. We're going to find a way to save everybody in the city and save everybody on Earth and and have our cake and eat it too. And in this movie, he says the same thing. We don't trade lives. We're not going to let Vision die, even though literally the fate of the universe is at stake. And this is the movie where it finally comes back to bite them in a huge way that, that they have the opportunity. To be fair, like eventually um, – the Scarlet Witch does try to make the sacrifice. Uh, Quill tries to make the sacrifice. But like, if they had made these things earlier in cold blood, not waiting until the last possible moment, um, they could have potentially at least slowed down Thanos. But they're heroes, and they don't want to kill innocent people, and that's why Thanos wins. And I'm wondering – it's pretty grim, and it has these real-world parallels. They like, could think about things like uh, 24, the idea that like when you're fighting terrorists who are ruthless, do you also need to be ruthless or else you lose? Um, and we like to think that that's not true. We like to think that you can be Superman and you can have a code of ethics and you can play by the rules and you'll still win somehow. In this movie, sort of uh, laughs in the face of that. Yeah, I think. Oh, I'm sorry. It's I'm Team Spider-Man jumping in on Team Vision. Time. <laughs> Go for it. Go for it. It's open. It's open season for everybody now. Definitely. Well, uh, I was going to say, um, you know, in the uh, you know, in my opinion, very important. Um, television show of our time, the first three series of the 100, um, I think makes an argument that um, the when you do make those sacrifices purely, you know, to to, you know, because, you know, your enemies will eventually everybody becomes a villain. And so it might seem worth it in the in the short term. But then eventually you become two Thanoses fighting against each other and you sort of lose track of like who of who at the beginning had, um, you know, sort of noble goals, because I think this movie more than a lot of, I think other Marvel movies, at least at the beginning of, in my opinion, MCU makes a, a solid case that at least he has noble goals, right? He, you know, hit, he does not want to watch the universe starve and die. And so he, you know, he's attempting to fix that, albeit with genocide. Um, but, you know, he's not sort of Loki coming in and just being like, I've decided I think Earth would be better with, like, Asgardian fascism. Yeah, exactly. Uh, that, 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 yeah, sorry. Um, that, that's, a, that's a really interesting idea. And actually something I I was just sort of kicking around um, as, as a topic I, I thought would be interesting to maybe jump into. Um, and that is sort of, it seems like Thanos' obsession with sort of a, a Malthusian view of the universe, sort of the, the Thomas Malthus idea that um, there's a certain, uh, that, that resources are finite and that uh, resources can only sort of grow arithmetically, but, but populations grow exponentially. And so you eventually run out of resources and people people starve to death what, what's what's curious and and i think i don't know um the i don't know thanos very well from the comic books i, I i'm not very well read in the comics uh, to be honest i'm not very well read on robert malthus either or thomas malthus either but um <laughs> but this is overthinking it so we'll just we'll just jump right in um but uh so I don't, I don't know if there's more sort of they they flesh out that aspect of thanos's motivation more in the comics but um i think 
uh, like other villains, so, so Magneto comes to mind as another villain uh, from the Marvel Universe who who kind of has a point. In other words, he, he's clearly a villain, and he clearly uh, has sort of nefarious motivations, but there's there's a debate to be had in Magneto's case about whether or not mutants and humans can get along, in Thanos' case about sort of how do we, say, deal with finite resources in the universe. Um, I, I felt that, I, I'm curious to hear what other people thought about this, because I, I found it that it felt a little bit flat in Thanos' case, because it seems like Mag- Magneto in, say, other, in the X-Men movies or, or what have you, um, is given kind of a chance, they sort of play with this idea, and he kind of goes back and forth between being a villain and being more heroic as he kind of comes around to the idea that maybe, you know, you don't have to be a total, you know, jerk about, you know, the humans. Whereas I, I don't think anyone can really convince Thanos that his mission is somehow not justified. But, um, you know, there's there's a brief moment, I think, where he has a conversation with Gamora where they kind of, kind of try to get into it, but it, it's clear that this is not going to be a policy seminar about you know technology escaping the Malthusian trap. That this is a Marvel movie, and people are going to have to punch each other in the face. But um, anyway, I, I'm curious to <laughs> to hear what other people think about sort of Thanos's motivations, you know, vis-a-vis the overpopulation of the universe and, I mean, the, and all that stuff. The, the one thing, Ben, that struck me is that it's, it's very clearly, uh, he, he's very clearly misreading this, right? Like for a couple of reasons, one, like the, the, um, if, if you kill half the people, the general trends of population will not stop operating. Right. Like, and Correct. so you'll, you'll be, you'll be back in this. So do we have to kill half the people like every, you'll actually like exponentially more quickly have to keep killing half the people, uh, right. because as, as, as they go, you'll have a, I mean, you sort of need, and now we're, now we're in the purge and, uh, it's, you know, not, um, I don't know. It, it's not. And, and then the other thing is that it's, it's, uh, <sighs> I don't know the the sort of the attitude towards towards suffering, right? Like like resource constraints cause suffering, so let's let's inflict let's inflict more suffering. It would be nice. I mean, it, I'm not I'm not I'm not sure I'm with you on him having a point. It would be nice if some of these Marvel villains had a point uh, every once in a while, rather than being like dangerous psychopaths. I, just I mean, I think you can have be... a plan where he like you know. Tried a couple things first. Like, if you've got the Infinity Stones, you could double resources, would be, you know, like plan A. And then you're going to have the population as plan B. The other sort of thing, the, the, the trick with his plan, he kept saying life, but he appears to mean intelligent life, because, like, are half the dogs gone? I didn't see any reduction in plants, and I was looking yeah, at yeah. trees, away, like bacteria. There's just like. All the cartons have only six eggs. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know what's interesting is that so when Thanos tells his own story, he sort of portrays himself as a technocrat, almost like he's he's uh, like Elon Musk, right? And he's tried to solve the problems of his home planet. Nobody listens to him. Um, but then when you actually see him, what he's doing, going from planet to planet, it's almost a religious process, right, where he separates uh, everything into two groups, or when he talks to Gamora about the need for balance, and it's it's this sort of mist and 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 the idea that it needs to be exactly half, right? That doesn't seem like a scientific thing. That just seems like a 
a, a religion. And that got me thinking that people at Marvel really like the Chronicles of Riddick. Because <laughs> if you guys remember, and I know you do, Pete, the Chronicles oh, yeah. of Riddick is about a group called the Necromongers who yep. have this this sort of death cult belief that they go from planet to planet wiping out all life because they're trying to convert the universe into something called, I believe it was the Underverse? The Underverse, yes, which is a combination uh, underpants and sausage, I think, is the Underverse. Yeah, no, it's and dark I realm of got, death. <laughs> yeah, the, the idea of being the, the sort of this this Wagnerian space warrior, like sort of dark war, even the design of the spaceships sort of being like all this very dark gothic metal is a little bit Chronicles of Riddick, which which I quite enjoyed. Let's let's be clear. Chronicles of Riddick, and anytime I'm reminded of that, it's a good day. <laughs> yeah, I was also reminded of the um a video game trilogy Mass Effect, um, which you made me think of earlier because it's uh, agreed once, you know, he wipes out half and the population recovers like the if you haven't played it, Mass Effect, um, it will have to become a cycle of essentially wiping people out every couple generations um, once they become sort of too smart or too overpopulated. Right. So does anybody actually know their Malthus well enough to know what how Malthus gets out of this situation? The economist. Well, so there's <laughs> so I, I think Hint, it's so, not with a magical glove that murders all of the dogs and half of the eggs. No, it's something different from that. No. Well, so, I mean, in as my my very kind of naive understanding is that the way you get out of the Malthusian trap is the reason that's sort of already been alluded to. And that's technology that, you know, we haven't had mass starvation on Earth because agriculture technology and other forms of technology have improved that allow us to provide for people. And and I like I like the point that was made about the fact that he has the infinity glove, which would seem to give him you know, massive amounts of power to just just help people and not worry about, you know, them starving to death and therefore having to kill them off first. Um, and also just just a quick aside, I noticed I think there's a scene where Thanos shows his own planet before he got there or before he went on this this genocidal quest. And he says, you know, and, and then there's some voiceover about how, you know, we were, you know, we were running out of resource or something but the planet they show looks rather nice it's very sleek it looks kind of like wakanda you know it doesn't look it doesn't really depict suffering or any kind of justification for what he's doing so yeah he's clearly he's clearly crazy <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh they show that um it seemed like he was showing it at the peak of things and he was talking about how um they saw that their resources might be dwindling or there's some kind of prediction that we will need to have fewer people on this planet as opposed to more food, I guess. Um, and then it came to pass and then he just goes back to showing everything kind of, you know, rusted over and, and old. Um, doesn't really explain why he's the only one left though. <laughs> In the <laughs> comics, curious. doesn't he kill half of his people anyway? Yeah, he he invades his own people. He's like hostile to his own people, and they hate him. I think right in the comics. Although he does a lot of things in the comics, um, right? Though, I, yeah, I, I think um, I think you're. I think it's something along those lines where it, it doesn't make sense. Well, it's not that it doesn't make sense. It's just there's a lot that's been changed from the comics. I guess is what I'm saying. And uh, the setup with Thanos and his own planet, which was supposed to be the the moon of Saturn, Titan in the comics, but is now a planet that's far, far away. I think. If I, unless I'm I don't know. Planet. I think they still called it plant. Uh, they called it planet. They still called it Titan. So I think yeah. it's, I think it's the same. Um, I did have a question though, um, especially as we're bringing in uh, this. Uh, was it Malthus? Malthus. Uh, Malthus. Malthus. Yeah. Malthus. Okay. 
Who is when, not a Marvel villain, despite the fact that his name sounds like <laughs> yes. Right. He just influences. I, I'm, I'm sure Thanos is very well read. He says he's a knowledgeable guy, so I can understand that. Um, but Unfortunately, it's the, all Reddit, so that's why the universe is screwed. No, yeah, he's a, he's a, he's a very, very stable genius. <laughs> uh, much like Tony Stark. Um, but yeah, it goes into a conversation that I had uh, after I saw the movie, and it was why... Hasn't anyone talked about balancing the universe by perhaps one particular planet has a famine and and everyone perishes like Titan. And that's part of the balance of the overall universe as opposed to each individual planet on it. Um, I don't know if anyone has any record of that from uh, existing in the comics, but it was something that came up. That's interesting. The idea is that how is he so casually able to aggregate the individual prosperity of all the individual planets and the life on all of the individual planets and silo it out so neatly? You've got to think that it's a fixation. It's like a mathematical fixation more than a plan. Yeah, it doesn't really seem like it, but it's a purity discourse, right? And that, like, uh, the idea that there's, and, and you know, I'm on the record, uh, I'm, I've taken the controversial position on this podcast, that purity discourse is bad, right? <laughs> and, like, uh, saying the sort of one good version of something is the only thing that should be allowed to exist is, uh, is an untenable position for, you know... Um, growth and prosperity for everybody. But like, he's talking about the one, the one kind of theoretical point, uh, in, in the future at which there will be no more change, right? Like the, the sort of the end of the swinging line, uh, and the, the, you know, all thing, every, every valley is made a plane and every mountain is leveled. That's not, uh, um, you know, it's not sort of, it's not likely to, it's not likely to happen. And he's not really, he doesn't really seem to have that kind of personality. Like the, the amount of casual torture in this movie, the amount uh, in which suffering is inflicted coercively um, without really even a thought as to whether, as to the ethics, you know, um, of doing it, like is, is, uh, I don't know, betokens some like dark shift in our, our national, consciousness our our sort of global consciousness i guess in the last mm, let's say 17 years <laughs> so i also I have a that... question oh okay um so uh dr strange sees 14 million versions of the future and mm. in only only one of them do they win would you say that is some version of purity discourse <laughs> <laughs> i don't know i mean is that he's talking about I, I don't know. I think he's saying that it's very unlikely, right? Like, uh, of all the game trees, there's there's only one. <laughs> there's only one with a uh, with a plus one at the at the end of Why? the last the last van- yeah. branch. Why only that one? What makes that one the one where they win versus all the other ones? I, yeah, I don't know because that's the one in which uh, that's the one in which Doctor Strange gives up the 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 time stone. Mm. I don't know, but it's like you know it's who gets to, yeah. <laughs> who, who gets to say? I mean, you know, I, I, I don't know. We only think that the uh, we only think that the one in which they win is the quote unquote good one uh, yeah. because we watch movies about these people. Who knows? <laughs> maybe like maybe version three million eight hundred ninety four thousand five hundred seven is actually the one where all the payoffs are optimized for the most number of people in the universe, <laughs> even the the the, the Avengers, uh, you know, quay heroes like lose. I mean, Doctor so, Strange right. doesn't get to, doesn't share the content of the other fourteen million. 
Yeah. I, I think well, that maybe in five million of them, Mole Man from the Fantastic Four yeah. wins. And he's like, that's not an acceptable outcome. Dr. Shaw, we have to win. It can't be like the scroll versions of us that win. It can't be like, yeah. it can't be like you know, yeah, the Avengers, but from a different place. Right. From the South with Southern accents. Like, that's unacceptable. Right. It has to be us that win. And that's the only yeah. outcome. Can we yeah. game out a little how Doctor Strange's foreknowledge works? So that when he there's the oh. there's the scene where he says, I've looked at 14 million versions. Somebody says, How many do we win? And he says one. And then I think the scene ends. Now if it the does, scene yeah. didn't if the scene didn't end, somebody is like, Well, what happened in that one? And we're all assuming that he says, I can't tell you guys, right? <laughs> that he doesn't explain how we're gonna do it. But then the I obvious mean, question is like, they're like, well, will you tell us if we start doing the wrong thing? Are we going to, you know, it's, what, what can't, how can you use this? What was the point of looking if you can't tell us? So I, this is an interesting question that like, if, if they're introducing a scenario where Dr. Strange can see how to win, what are the rules that accompany that knowledge? I think there's sure? a lot. I would hope not, because if he tells them, they're going to change it, right? Uh, that's the, the the problem with knowing your future. But is he allowed to know it and sort of subtly influence them? And does that not change it? Like, if he tells maybe... them what his plan is, knowing that so-and-so is going to do something wrong, so-and-so is going to do the right thing. Like he, I'm In my understanding, um, he's not only seeing the future from where he's sitting on titan but he's i don't even know the word for his fun like jazzercise i'm going to go to another portal to another place uh thing that he does but he does that as well and kind of sees what's going on in other places and is thinking about the active the actions that he takes on titan that will push thanos in the direction that he wants to push him to based on all of the possible futures that he has seen so i mean Otherwise, why did he continue to fight if he knew at the end of the day he's going to give up the stone? There's some reason for that, right? There had to be something that he saw that let him know that he had to go through all of that. And obviously would have seen all the ridiculousness about friggin' Star-Lord deciding that, hey, I'm going to punch this guy in the face right now, even though poor Spider-Man is, like, so close to getting the gun off. You know, like, there's so many little things that I'm, in my mind, I'm thinking uh, Doctor Strange saw and then kind of angled so that he could kind of push people in the direction of the action he'd need them to take so that he could get his overall result, even though it resulted in him, you know, turning into dust and giving away the time stone. I've never been very satisfied with the anthropic principle as like a cosmological answer to questions, right? Because there's some, that's like an ex, the Doctor Strange scenario is a major idea in astronomy, right? And in physics, which is that like the way that the universe is how it is, is such a rare and peculiar manner. The one, the one that allows us to be alive and exist is so strange and peculiar. It's, a, it's ultimately what, what uh, convinces Dr. Manhattan and Watchmen, like not to be a jerk face and to decide to help. Right. Is this idea that people are so rare and impossible and the situation for which the causes people to come about is so unlikely. But then one of the explanations is, well, sure, but if it were any other way than how it is, we would not be here to observe it. Is this sort of explanation of like, well, why is the cosmological constant this and not that? Well, it is somewhere. It's a random chance, right? Or in some situation it might be. But if it were in that situation, we wouldn't exist. 
and I know that that people seem satisfied with that explanation. I don't know if you how you guys feel about the anthropic principle as kind of a governing concept for looking at cosmology, for example, in the real world. I'm saying where Doctor Strange is not real, but where some of his works are. I guess I suppose I'm not sure. Um, so I think Rather sort of alluded to this or, or similar idea a little bit earlier, which I think is interesting. I think it's an interesting idea um, vis-a-vis the Marvel Cinematic Universe because the, <laughs> of the infinite number of Marvel Cinematic Universes, we presumably will witness the one in which everything works out okay. Um, whereas, you know, in some sort of metaphysical sense, there are millions of other sort of these battles that went on where we, we don't, but we're, we're watching the movie where it turns out, you know, okay, presumably after the, the sequel or something. <laughs> right. Right. Like, like there's another version of Ant-Man where Michael Douglas actually wins and that's just not the one that we get to see. Right. right? <laughs> where Michael Douglas is the hero at the end of the story and not Paul Rudd. Um, it's, it's a, it's an interesting governing principle, but Mar- Marvel has all these ultimate realities in their alternate realities in these cosmologies. Um, I guess we should probably move on to speaking about comic books and alternate realities and things changing that don't change the, the, the death, all the death in this, this movie has so much death in it. It's so sad. I just, but, I just, it, yeah, go ahead, Anna. But is it? <laughs> yeah, I'm. I'm going to be on team. But is it? <laughs> like, because look, can I point out that I think we have about 15 months before Spider-Man Two comes out. <laughs> like, literally, that's a next summer movie. They're shooting it right now. They're probably halfway through the special effects. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, certainly the moment where Spider-Man dies and he sort of begs not to die, that's an affecting moment. Yeah. And that, like, pe- people choked up in the theater where I saw that. And I think even if you know that it's going to be undone, as I think most of us sort of do, even if you don't know that it, the movie is, like, a done deal and it's coming out next summer, you can still feel sad when that happens. Well, and I think it's a—I mean, I think for that, it's a testament to how successfully they have brought that character into this universe, despite most people not— wanting another version of spider-man in 2018 um that that moment was affecting uh, because it should not have been in any sense of the word like the fact that we care about spider-man that, like is frankly like very impressive <laughs> when was the last time you cared about spider-man hannah Where, where's the what's the period in time in which you did not care about spider-man did it have a beginning it did start with your birth uh, did it it started least... with my birth and it ended with Spider-Man Homecoming. Oh, OK. <laughs> it no, started... Toby Maguire could have gotten his head chopped off in this movie and you would have been fine with it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's how I felt about most of the character death, because I think that, you know, like what was alluded to is like every character that has died in a Marvel movie so far, with the exception of a couple villains, has and even some villains has come back like death is essentially meaningless in this universe, even without the Infinity Stone or Captain Marvel, which we already know is taking place in the 90s. Like, even without those things, this universe is not one in which death has actual money. So, like, the stakes of death is, like, not an actual stake. Mm. I'm not sure if Jeff Bridges has come back from the first Iron Man. He died. Who has come back? Am I fake for not knowing who we're talking about? Bucky came back. Um, Loki came back. Um, okay. Uh, uh, if you count TV, uh, Coulson comes back yes, and yep. stars on like six seasons of Agents of Shield. <laughs> Nick Fury was killed in the Winter Soldier. Yep. Yep, and he comes okay. back. 
Yeah. Is it explained or did they just they just phase back into the into the film and it's like this is what was always expected? I mean, I think it's quote explained. Like it's mm. mostly just science. They like get a corpse okay. and they they reanimate it. And... <laughs> okay, cool. Yeah. And and uh, Thor has actually been shot in the head and murdered in every movie, but by the end of it, he's just fine, and they never explain it. He's <laughs> a god slash very uh, scientific, I guess. His technology is so good. I really thought that um, guy's sense was going to end with handsome. He's just very handsome. <laughs> That's I mean, you know, he these, does look like you know a pirate. Desert. Pirate had a uh, baby with an angel. <laughs> to be fair, <laughs> I love that Josh, whole Josh. sequence. What you got, Josh? Yeah, you know, you know these deaths are different because at the end of the movie, instead of a usual credit sequence, they basically did the in memoriam section from the Oscars. <laughs> yeah, like, the way they like changed nice, that music nice was serif font Ooh. with like on a black screen for the capture for the credits. I was like, that was when I teared up. They did a really good job. Go Sorry, I was gonna say with the uh, with how they they changed up the. The theme song there, uh, just really tugging at all of the heartstrings. So one, I guess one question I have is, I, I'm generally with the team, but is it uh, a notion that you know does that the presumably if if most of these characters or all these characters are resurrected, that in, in some sense death doesn't matter? But I'm also trying to sort of, I don't know, thinking about playing devil's advocate and and wondering about and not to get very dark, but sort of about the nature of trauma and how they're depicting that in this movie, because you could argue that. If you know all these characters sort of wink out of existence, and yet they, you know, the other the people who are still there experience their loss, unless like time is really totally the clock is really rewound, which which it might be, but unless that happens and everyone still sort of remembers this like vast swath of destruction that happened in the universe, it still seems to me like that has some emotional consequence for you know everyone's going through this, even if ultimately characters are resurrected. Is is that totally off base, or is that is there maybe something to that? I think there's something to that, and I think uh, if there are any consequences to be had for this movie, uh, it would be felt in kind of the emotional, um, <clears throat> you know, experiences that the characters have through it, which is probably actually, like, this is going to sound crazy, but uh, based on everything I said, the things that was hardest to watch were not the characters dying, it was the characters watching their friends disintegrate. And yes. I, yeah. Know, the, the I did have a question pain, there, too. Go ahead. Oh, my quick question for everyone. Uh, do you think that these people uh, felt pain or anything more than the vague confusion that they had going on when they were disappearing? Um, assuming they come back in some shape or form, is that going to be something that affects them? Will they, will they know about it? Will half the universe, if they come back, be kind of haunted by this memory of themselves fading away? Or is it something that you think is going to get swept under the rug? That's a really interesting question. I mean, that requires us to speculate on what comes now and what the plot of the next movie could be. So here's the thing. When I'm going into this movie, what I thought was going to happen is Thanos was going to get all the Infinity Stones but one. And that was going to be the state of play leading into the final Avengers movie, because I sort of assume that once he has all the stones, he's got ultimate power over all aspects of reality. There's no sort of like, OK, I'm going to sneak up behind him and punch him really hard. And then you hit him with the two by four. Like, there's no plan at that point. He's he's omniscient. He's all powerful. He's God. And so, but that's actually happened now. So that now I'm curious that like it feels like they've written themselves into a corner, but clearly they haven't. 
And so I, I, I don't know how you get yourself out of this one and get everyone back alive that you need for Black Panther 2. <laughs> and as for people feeling bad about it, I thought it was really notable that Spider-Man was the one who felt something was wrong because Spider-Man has a spider sense. So that's why Spider-Man oh, yeah. was feeling bad because Spider-Man was spider-sensing what was about to happen to him. So everybody else, it was basically like the anesthetic didn't work on him. It's like everybody him and else, Mantis, I think. Oh, yeah, yeah. She that. had empathy for everybody in the world, mm. in the universe. Oh, it's so tragic. It's so oh, man, Congratulations, dark. I'm sad now. <laughs> it's so dark. <laughs> Sorry, I think I was a lot more disturbed by this movie than all of y'all were, but but I'll save that for part two. <laughs> I mean, I, I sat in the theater watching people leave before the end credits scene, just kind of angrily looking at the credits roll. Um, I thought to myself, if they do not give me a post-credits uh, scene, I don't know what I will do. Um, and then that was also sad as well. So here we go. So what what made you angry? Because I'm curious, like, if they erase all the deaths in the next movie, is everything square? Or do you still feel angry about what happened in this movie? I mean, to be fair, I really enjoyed the film. I think they did a really good job of bringing, you know, a thousand and one people together without it looking like a crowded party. Um, And I only have slight issues with the way certain characters were portrayed. It was just... It was just a gut punch. Um, you know, Cap's last line is like, oh, God, or something, right? It's like, what, is this real? Is this real life? Um, and then you have this purple dude, like, sitting, watching the sunset. And I'm like, we just saw his happy ending, but that's not our happy ending. So I was just generally kind of sad about it. And then when there wasn't a, I guess, sometimes they have two post-credit scenes. Um, so when there wasn't one sooner, I thought either they're going to make us sit through all the credits and there won't be one, like it's over, over. And, um, and that would have made me really annoyed. Um, but, uh, just them not doing the pre post credit, I don't know what you'd call it, um, made me a little like antsy, like, what are we, what are we playing at? We know they always do these things. So I hope that they do that. That's all it was. So I think the chances is, of this happening are zero, but like, how amazing would it be if they just let this lie? Ooh. Like, if Phase Two was just this <sighs> this status quo. Yeah. But judge the thing, the thing, Black the, Panther though. The th- the thing that well, Black that Panther was starring Shuri. Well, yeah, but that that was the one where I was like, "Damn!" That you know, I sort of expected everybody to to disappear, but I thought it was going to be you know minor characters, people who don't matter, you know, like like uh, like the wing, like the wing guy, you know, the the who the Falcon. 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 Are you talking about Slingshot, the man who can climb anything? <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, I don't know, like what is like this, some kind of Suicide Squad. <laughs> <laughs> But guys, when the when the dust clears and you look at who's left, it makes a lot of sense because all you got left are the OG Avengers yeah. plus rockets, which I think is actually really funny <laughs> that he's like the one concession. So it's literally the people who were there at the beginning. They've erased all the new people, at least temporarily. And also, not not to get too business of Hollywood cynical, these are all the very expensive people who probably have contracts that are up after the next movie. So it's like you you've 
honed it down to the original cast, give them one more chance to go in the spotlight. And and guys, I couldn't help but think that there's this big line that Robert Downey Jr. has in the very first Avengers movie where he's talking to Loki and he says, you know, we may not be able to save the Earth, but we you can be damn sure that we're going to avenge it. And so it's like, even though they're called the Avengers, mm-hmm. they never really avenged anything, right? They've always prevented the disaster before it happens. And so this is the chance for the original group that are actually motivated by this loss in this fury to show what they can do when when all the gloves are off no pun intended ah see what you did there (laughs) but that yeah i mean i think that like i think they're probably not going to keep paying for robert downey jr because he's at some ridiculous like 50 million dollars a movie or something like that uh we know that that chris evans is not coming back right like yeah it makes it makes sense the the uh the thing about disney the I mean the 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 thing I've heard anyway is that that a lot of these people are getting paid a lot less than than you'd think um, because this is the only this is the only franchise like this you know maybe maybe the Star Wars uh, ones also Disney so that they know like you know you can go make your money later this is gonna gonna make you famous but you can't you can't kill. T'Challa after he just had like the 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 highest grossing movie, you know, uh, in the history of man. You can't. It 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 just doesn't. It doesn't. It doesn't make sense, right? Like I don't know. That's in in all of the 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 uh, Marvel cinematic multiverses. I guess there is a version where there is where you could do it, but it's just I I don't think it's going to happen because there has to be a Black Panther too. I mean, it was greenlit about thirty seconds after the presale for Black Panther one went live. I'll bet, right? I mean, it's the same. I think it's it's their error, uh, the, the studio's error in giving these lists out because there is a Spider-Man movie that we know is supposed to happen. There is a Guardians of the Galaxy movie that we know is supposed to happen. So even if all of the people that are in the original two Guardians of the Galaxy don't come back, we know that something's going to happen with them and some people might come back. So the, the mystery there um, is all in the theater, but once you get on the internet and you do a little bit of digging, you realize that something has to happen in the second installment of the, uh, or the next Avengers movie that shakes things up in reverse because we know these movies are set to come out. Yeah, this was the thing about the title of the next Avengers movie, right? Like apparently it is mm-hmm. it contains a spoiler for this Avengers movie, but I was reading something a Hollywood Reporter or something like that and the the, the directors the uh, what are they? The 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 Russos, the Russos, the Russos. yeah, they uh, yeah the, the the Russos and uh, and Wing Dude and you know I I, I I can't remember all the names. Um, they were like, oh God, we shot ourselves in the foot. The title is actually not a big deal. It's just that it's a spoiler. That's the only reason why we've kept it a secret uh, so far. Um, what could it possibly be that's a spoiler? I don't know. Like. Yeah. Uh, Putting, putting, uh, putting all the dead people. Everyone's dead. Yeah, <laughs> actual funerals. <laughs> oh, we don't call it zombie rising. Funerals in real time is what it's called. <laughs> it's a seven-hour movie of just funerals. <laughs> just a bunch of memorial services <laughs> of all the souls that I have known. His, his was the most. 
spidery yeah. <laughs> of all the souls that I have known. I was just going to bring up Star Trek too. His was the um. most panthery. Of all the souls that I have known, uh, God, oh please, please! It's bring... just the same eulogy. It's it's like a Mad Lib eulogy because they've got so many. Oh, you, bring, yeah. you bring William Shatner. Insert power here. I have questions for all of you. Um, does anyone <laughs> okay. see left behind? Sorry, it just dropped into my head. Um, if the, the the whole half of the universe disappears, especially with the end credit scene where you get to see uh, people outside of Wakanda dealing with this, it had a strong left behind vibe to it. It was where, very rapture I agree. Yeah. It's not yes. just the people that, um, you know, are, are taken. It's the after effects of yep. what happens when the person flying the plane disappears. I mean, yep. isn't that's really interesting. Do you think that like, you know, because we know what really happened, but on Earth, they, they actually have no knowledge, right, of what actually uh, of what actually happened. At least I guess the the snap, the snap hurled around the universe happened in Wakanda. So it's actually on Earth. But like, uh, it's going to take a minute for news to filter out to everybody. So do you yeah. I think this is going to be like a, a huge rise of, of various kinds of fundamentalist religiosity where it's like, no, no, we were right about the rapture all along. The, the saved uh, actually got, got, you know, taken up and, and um, stuff. That's, that's interesting. I, I think it would, be, it would be an interesting kind of like anthology movie to do the immediate aftermath of this and how people make sense of it. It'll... It also raises an interesting question because you say, like, the news would have to travel. But imagine that news traveling. Like, I don't know how people in the MCU, like, just regular people view things. Like, maybe they're, they have a different opinion after all of the things that they've seen. But if you were to be like, oh, guys, it wasn't a rapture. Um, an alien gathered a bunch of stones that gave him the ultimate power and he snapped. And that's why your friends and loved ones are gone. Yeah. And, yeah. and by the way, by the way, it's not just Earth. You're not special right it's yeah. all it's all over the universe so everyone like uh, half the dogs literally half the dogs are uh what are the chances that uh the vendors aren't blamed <laughs> the vendors oh the yeah. avengers you... i think like the vendors like the hot dog vendors or like the... <laughs> yes all of the hot dog vendors <laughs> you thought oh, they're the totally accords were tough <laughs> yeah. Wait. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Wait till you see the municipal government of the city of New York. By the way, New York property values, right? Like rock bottom in in the MCU. Yeah. Yeah. I was I was gonna say when you were talking about are people dying and coming back and dying and coming back, like a tra is it, are people traumatized? I just couldn't help but think of all the people that Dragon Balls keep bringing back to life in Dragon Ball. They've been blown up by this guy punching the planet to pieces, and this guy blasting the planet with a laser beam. And if they remember all of those, you got to think that, that like going to the convenience store is even an incredibly anxious endeavor. Like, how are you doing, Tom? I'm doing okay. How are you? I'm doing okay. All right. I actually, so. Um, what did you feel? I know Han uh, Hannah already said that she didn't care too much about Vision and keeping him alive for as long as they did. Um, but what do you feel about having him having to die twice? Like, does he remember that time loop, or is it just for our kind of morbid benefit to see him suffer twice? Oh man, I mean, maybe, maybe it's maybe it's morbid benefit. I don't know. 
I mean, it's if if you want to get really nitty gritty about it, I'm remembering the time loops from Doctor Strange, and I seem to recall yeah. that when he reverses time, Wong sort of realizes that something weird just happened, and Wong is like, "Wait, did you did you just reverse time and bring him back to life?" Sort of gives him a look. So maybe, yeah. I d- but I don't know if that means that everyone understands that time was reversed, or maybe if you're just versed in the mystic arts, you can sort of sense that something's been meddled with. Um. Anyway, he's dead now, so it doesn't matter. We don't know that. We didn't see his body. <laughs> Vision? I'm pretty sure. Well, okay, okay, I thought you meant just... Wong. I'm sorry. I, no, I got very sad. <laughs> Wong is probably sitting in the sanctum, locked in, and has no idea any of this is happening. He's just like, anything comes through that door, I'm on it. Uh, and he's just like, he's with it with his deli sandwich that he finally got. <laughs> um, well, you know that Chiwetel Ejiofor is coming for him, right? Because he wants to be the Sorcerer Supreme? Or are we assuming that he's not coming back? I guess we'll find out. Yeah, I guess so. Well, you know what? I, I think I think we've come to about an hour, and I think that this needs to be this is a bigger conversation than we can have right here, right now. And so we've already planned on this. We've got another half of the overthinking it Avengers Infinity War conversation coming up. You're gonna hear it in one week. And I wanna see who around here is ready? Which of this mighty team is going to stand Wait, with I'm, me? Pete, Pete, yep. I'm so sorry. A big what? gust of wind just knocked over all of my succulents. What? I, what? I ha- a, a big gust of wind just wait. knocked over all of my succulents. I have to go. Hey, this Hannah, is, wait. This no. is horrible. I'm Hannah, so sorry. I have to hey, go. I have to Hannah, go. It was so great to have you here. Hannah. All right. That's okay. We lost Hannah. That's all right. We'll, we'll be able to go on and we'll record the second half of the Avengers Affinity War Overthinking a Podcast with all of the mighty Earth overthinkers that we have here with us today. Ben, what do you think? You're going to join us? Oh, oh, J- J- uh, Pete. You know, I, I, I was, I was thinking about coming back, but, but I'm getting, I'm getting sucked into the Washington Beltway. I, I you know, I just can't. I, I'm, I'm inside. I'm, in, I'm inside the Beltway. I'm trapped what? inside of DC politics. I just, I, I can't, I can't escape. Ben, don't, don't mess with me, Ben. Ben, we need, we need everybody. We're if we can't get together a mighty crew, how are we possibly going to finish the oh, second God, half of this I'm podcast? So I'm so sorry. I'm Josh. This kid literally just crapped on the floor. I, Wait, I what? Go. I'm Josh, I'm so sorry. Josh, we can clean it up together. Josh, we can do it as a team. God. All right, all right, all right. It's all right. It's okay. We still got solid crew of four here. All right, so Shion, you up for next week? You're going to come back for the next yeah. episode? Um, it sounded like a good idea, but uh, I think there's a marathon of all the Marvel movies happening, um, and so I'm just going to watch that um, right now um, and see what happens. I might lock myself in my house for a bit, so I'll talk to you soon. Bye. Guys, this is this is more lost than I can take. If, how long is this going to go on? How many excellent podcasters are we going to have to lose before we record the second half of this podcast. All right. It's just me and you two, Matts, right? No, no, Pete. My, I, I, wait. Oh, God. Oh, wait, no. I feel myself no. being pulled away no, by Matt, commitment. It's my commitment no, to Matt. the bit. Matt, Matt, no, not the bit. No, the bit isn't worth it. <laughs> oh, man. How are we going to do without Matt Rather? <clears throat> Matt Rather was the anchor. Matt Rather was the host of all the episodes. Blakey, Blakey, are you still with me? I'm actually feeling a little. I felt better. You felt I better. Felt better. Are you sure? I felt well. Actually, wait. I think it's the sushi. I think it's wait, the it's bad the sushi. sushi. So are I think you I'm, with it? I'm not. I'm not fading away. But I am going to okay. go on mute while I throw up. Okay. All right. So.
with that thrilling cliffhanger and with Mark Lee potentially coming back from the quantum realm and with Jeremy Renner as Hawkeye, we will be returning in one week for the second half of the Overthinking It Infinity War podcast, where those who remain will subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve. message i have to send this message out oh oh mother